Welcome to Observe and Be Kind, a podcast series with Sharon Mullen, a stress and trauma therapist based in Lismore, New South Wales, Australia. Sharon works with both the physical and mental effects of stress and trauma using a combination of mind and body work. She is a qualified counsellor and a Buddhist practitioner. She is trained in TRE and tapping. Her greatest attributes are her compassion and sense of humour. Sharon is Irish. You will be entertained. Today I want to tell you the story of my logo because it's a fantastic story and I'm trying so hard to be entertaining in this process. I usually am, but sitting in a small room with Andy, as good company as he is, it's a little bit tricky for me. So I thought if I tell a story, maybe some of my humour will come out. I will, I will try my best. So the logo represents so much. It represents love, safety, kindness, courage, risk, innocence, friendship, care, timing. Simply, it's a symbol of vulnerability. The logo is a hug, or as Australians would say, a hug. I've written H-A-A-G to try and remind me of how I pronounce that. It was funny when I came to Australia, when I used to pronounce jug or hug, how I had to stop and think about how that was said in Australian. It's very different. People don't understand my Irish accent all the time. Anyway, let me tell you a bit about me before I talk about the hug itself. Um, You'll hear me talk about trauma being caused by neglect, not abuse. And this is a great example of how that plays out. I talked a little about my childhood in the first podcast, and I will probably repeat some stories, so bear with me on that one. The only physical contact I remember as a kid was either being hit or sexually assaulted, other than the famous memory of my father holding my hand. Though it's my memory, I still find it odd that for years I didn't know what was going on. So the memory is of me looking up at my hand in my father's hand. Sounds obvious now. But for years, I didn't know what was happening in that picture as I had it in my mind. The lack of healthy affection began to show up in my teens. I didn't uh, know what healthy affection was. I only knew what was wrong. So I grew up in Dublin and I have a memory of me at a party. I must have been about 17. I didn't drink yet. Well, I did have a few sips of my mother's beer once or twice. It was harp, horrible stuff cough and splutter all over the place didn't sell the whole deal to me anyway at this party a boy comes up to talk to me and I freeze I can't move I'm completely aware that I can't move my breath is shallow but it's there my eyes are recording the whole scene I don't know if I could hear him I don't remember that I was reliant on lip reading I still am a lot to this day And he keeps talking anyway, I know that. And eventually he says something like, fucking weirdo, and walks away. Slowly my body starts to unwind, warm up and come back to life. I I take it as normal and get on with my night. Funny what becomes our norm. So I'll tell you another wee story um, of how I operated in the world. And now I'm in my 20s and I'm living in London. Each day I had to walk past a construction site. Men everywhere, as you can imagine. And to be fair, they may not know that I'm a woman because I hid. I wore jeans and collared shirts. 
In this case, I could feel the paralysis coming. I know more about the psoas muscle now. Um, I believe it was starting to contract, pull down my shoulders. My blood supply was leaving my extremities and heading to my organs. For me, that meant my legs were turning to jelly, my breath becoming shorter. Now, interestingly enough, my mother had taught me this trick of naming things whenever this happened, whenever this kind of paralysis collapse was coming in. So as I walked along the road past the construction site, I would repeat car, road, building over and over again, sometimes very fast just to keep myself present until I got past and felt my body coming back to me. Now and again, I would hear a wolf whistle and that would make me so lightheaded. Oh my gosh. And so I'd have to concentrate even harder. It wasn't any fun. I would get off the train and know that I'd have to face that every time and coming out of work every time. So it would start well before I got anywhere near the construction site. It's classic now to think that that's what I had to go through every day. But anyway, I did. In London, I lived with a man who became my first husband. Uh, he rescued me, really. Literally, when we, we met in Greece after my drink had been spiked and continued to do so after we became a couple. I was so blessed that he was the one who came along and found me that night while I was lying on a wall in uh, Greece. Couldn't, couldn't move. Awful feeling. Took me days to get over it. Anyway, so this fella, my first husband as he became... He and I lived together in, in London and he taught me basic stuff. He taught me how to tie my shoelaces, how to blow my nose, read the time. He hugged me a lot, uh, introduced me to healthy affection. He taught me how to hug. Because to be fair, Irish people at the time I grew up in Ireland weren't terribly affectionate anyway. It wasn't just what was going on in my family. He encouraged me to find my own sense of style as well. He noticed my moods and would do a checklist in his head to see if I needed food or sleep or affection. It's all really basic stuff. He looked after me. He kept me safe and he helped me come back to life. And then we moved to Australia. Oh, and I loved it. I felt like all my Christmases had come at once. An expression from my Catholic past. I loved the sunshine, the beaches, the food, the people. I was so happy and I was safe and I was married. I'd had what felt like a tin can around me my whole life, and now I had a different kind of protection, a legitimate one. It allowed me to relax more. I hid behind my wedding ring. And now for the hug story, or hug story. So I'm in my second job in Australia. I loved it. It was so much fun, working with so many different people. I remember there were 11 different nationalities on the floor I worked on, and I love people. Here was this amazing opportunity to learn more about how to be around people from all over the world in the comfort and safety of my marriage. How wonderful. So there's this guy who works there and he's quiet, shy, very serious, tall as a house. I talked to him like I did everyone. And my boss noticed this and challenged me to see if I could make him smile. So I took the challenge. With blind ignorance, I took the challenge. Now, I don't remember how our friendship began, to be fair, my memory isn't that great and I was still a bit of a freezer in those days. So, you know, not always in the building to be recording it. I just remember that we ended up chatting, not just in person, but on the internet. Now, who remembers the internet? I think it was possibly before the internet was more readily available. I, I don't know, but it was when you could chat amongst yourselves within the company. So we would sit at our desks and chat on our computers and giggle. And uh, we thought no one knew, but everyone did. 
uh, we had um, a few lunch times together and then most lunch times together. One day he tells me that because he's so tall, he never gets a hug where the other person's arms are around his neck. He always has to bend down. And that stayed with me. I liked this man. He was sad. He had dreams of moving overseas and I'd been helping him with all that, helping him with the paperwork and the emotions. And we were close now. But I married, remember, safely married, invisible behind my wedding ring. Now, I do know how to hug by this stage, but usually I still freeze if it's someone new. I don't know how to end it. And I'm still very awkward. So this is a big deal. So I think about how I'm going to do this. How can I hug this man? I really wanted to help him to be happy. I don't remember that much about the build-up to it. Definitely there were sleepless nights and a fair bit of deep breathing. Yet no doubt this was going to happen. So my plan was this. I'd piled several phone books on top of one another in a cubicle next to his. It was, it was empty and private. I, can, I don't know if you can imagine those old setups in, in office places. Anyway, so I just did it. One day, I just walked up to him. Phone books are in place and I asked him to follow me and he did. And when he came around the corner, I was standing on the phone books with my arms out. We hugged. I remember him sighing. I remember him falling into me and his sadness. I could feel him. I was there. I didn't freeze. Still, I was blissfully unaware of what was happening. We hung out more. We went to see Paul Kelly with some friends it was hilarious. There was a, a girl there and, God, she'd only discovered Paul Kelly in the previous week. A girl visiting from Ireland and she kept screaming her fucking head off every time he started a new song. We were telling her to fucking shut up. Fuck, it was hilarious. Anyway, he came to my house. He met my husband. Then one day I'm traveling home on the bus and I'm thinking about him again. And I see it and I feel it and I know it. I've fallen in love with him. And I'm still... I'm still just happy. I'm married. I'm safe. It's just a nice feeling. How lovely for me. Bless my cotton socks. Anyway, the next memory I have is the two of us standing in an underground car park facing one another. Silent in that memory most of the time, but I know that we told each other then how much we loved each other. I know I said, I love you so much you could die happy. Interesting that I remember that because as a kid, I had a belief that I would die the moment I was happy. But I didn't die. I became more alive. And it was on, let me tell you. I remember several people shout now, get room! Because for some reason I've decided they were English. Anyway, that was a Friday night. And I left my husband on the Sunday. Now, remember this man was heading overseas. We only had six or seven weeks together before he flew away. It was a massive risk, but I had never felt love like that before. Turns out he was all too well aware of how he felt when we'd hugged. I now know that his love for me provided a different safety. A safety for me to be able to hug him. It blew the whole you need to love yourself first argument out of the water. Love is relational. Do newborn babies have to love themselves first? I was thinking about this, I often do this as a bit of a skit in, in class or in session when I describe this to people and I usually put on a, a London accent, but the Scottish accent sometimes is better for just saying the word first. So, you know, you can imagine a wee baby's born and a wee baby goes, no, 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 don't look at me with your 
with your love and you're trying to switch on my mirror neurons. No, I've got to love myself first. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, it's ridiculous. Do you know what happens to babies who are, haven't had their mirror neurons switched on, who aren't loved? They don't thrive. Anyway, so in the time we had together, we never held back on telling each other how we felt. We talked a lot about a life we would have together, a life that would never happen. He wrote me a letter once, left it under my keyboard. Very romantic, so cute. And he talked about how if his life was a movie and he could choose how it played out. And a quote, he said, you would be my ending. I was as sure of our love as I was that the sun came up every day. And then he left. Soon after that, I experienced debilitating depression. The joys of coming back to life, eh? You have to feel. And so I did. I learned how to feel, how to live without freezing, and I'm still learning. So the drawing, the logo, over the years I would find myself doodle with the simple drawing of that hug, the first drawing I kept in my wallet for years. I don't have it anymore. When I first went into practice as a counsellor, I used to I used a different version of it, a more curly one. Didn't sit right with me. Then when it came to choose a logo for the podcast, I drew it again. Lindell Marie, who does my social media, she digitised it. Erica Gully, who does a lot of my artwork and my printing, if not just business cards, vectorised it. And Andy Downer of Custard Apple, recording this today, uploaded it. It reminds me of my courage to be vulnerable and my ability to love without reciprocity. So it's him on the left, tall, me on the right, small, standing on phone books. A symbol of a moment, a moment that changed my life and his. I am driven to feel that love again because I know it will benefit not just me and he, but all those who will love us and those we meet and work with. I know it will happen. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to find out more, head over to the show notes at sharonmullen.com.au forward slash podcasts. Sign up to the newsletter to stay in touch or find Sharon on Facebook and Instagram at Sharon Mullen Therapy.